chapter 5. Take your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 5. By the way, we need to have a short choir practice uh, right after church, so choir, please stick around uh, for that. As we prepare for family camp, which starts, the preaching starts a week from today. Camp officially starts a week from tomorrow. So you be in prayer for camp. Pray for the McCandlesses as they're traveling. They come in Thursday night and um, pray for preparations for camp, okay? And also just a reminder, if you weren't here earlier, this Thursday night at 6.30, uh, we have a graduation reception for my daughter, Olivia, graduating from high school. And you are invited to come. It's an open house at my house from 6.30 on. And so you're welcome to come in and be a part and help us celebrate her. Bring money. I mean, that come out out loud? I told her, you should just send out as many cards as possible because you don't know how much money you're going to get in return. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, that's, so you're shaking your head. I know, Sarah, I was a joke. I mean, sort of, but, but kind of. Joshua chapter 5. We'll read a few verses here in just a second. Uh, but let me just sort of introduce the thought for this afternoon uh, by, with some real-life application that I'm sure that you would relate to. In your life, have you ever experienced, uh, you know, a time of blessing that is followed or a time of rest or a time of peace that is followed by a real time of trial? Um, usually, it doesn't work out in your life where you just have continual, you know, smooth sailing all your life. Oftentimes, um, testing is followed by a place of blessing or a place of blessing and peace is often followed by a place of testing or vice versa. And, and that is the situation that we find in Joshua chapter 5 with the nation of Israel. Israel had found rest at Gilgal and they had finally crossed over the river Jordan and they're entering into the land of Canaan and immediately they are put to a place of testing. In Joshua chapter 5, we really do find this is more related to Joshua himself. And so I want us to look at a few verses. They are, are probably familiar verses to you, um, but we'll read them and we'll make some application out of them. And, and what we're going to look at basically is the way to, to blessing and the way to victory in your life. Uh, they're going to they're gonna go and they're going to fight a battle. They need to conquer in the battle. But there was a way that this was going to happen. And so let's read in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray and then. We'll get into these verses here. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help with the thoughts this afternoon, that they would be, uh, there would be ready-made applications in our life for these principles and, and help us to draw out these principles that we might see the way to victory, the way to conquering uh, in life. And the, uh, the things that happened with Joshua are the very same things that need to happen uh, for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd challenge us with your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want you to see here is in verse 13, and that's a divine interruption. A divine interruption. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, verse 13 says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with the sword drawn in his hand, And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? The Bible says here that Joshua was by Jericho. What was he doing? Well, they knew that Jericho was the first city that they needed to conquer. And there was a way that this was going to happen. Joshua didn't know what the way that God intended was yet. And so what we can imagine is, Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Joshua was doing over by Jericho, but we can read between the lines a little bit, and it would be very easy for us to imagine that Joshua was probably there to survey the city for himself. Maybe he was searching out a plan for how we're going to conquer Jericho. Maybe he was devising a plan for how they would attack it, how they would conquer it. He already knew that this would be the first battle under his leadership of the people of of Israel. So maybe he was up there making some plans and plotting out a course of action because certainly he would want it to be done right. Maybe he was thinking, we can do this. We have enough people. We have resource. Jericho is formidable, but we can do this. Maybe all of those things were in his mind. They had already sent spies. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came unto the harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So they had already sent out spies to, to, to see the lay of the land. Uh, He had received a favorable report from that in chapter 2 in verse 23. The Bible says, So the two men returned and descended from, from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. So maybe there was an element of confidence that was already there with the report that the people do faint because of us. They're afraid. And so possibly Joshua was over by Jericho and Joshua had his plan all worked out. Now, we get to verse 13 of our passage and again we find a divine interruption. Because that is the point and that is the time when Joshua saw this man with a drawn sword in his hand. He didn't know who this individual was. He didn't know what this individual wanted to do. But he saw that he had a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua 
had no idea what was about to take place. He didn't know that he was about to come face to face with the divine. Now, for what purpose? Well, there could be many purposes. But certainly, this interaction with Jesus Christ, it was, I believe, is a Christophany. This interaction with Jesus Christ was certainly uh, to interject an element of humility into Joshua's life. Not necessarily that Joshua was proud, but more so for the fact that Joshua would remain submitted to his real captain, to the one who was really in charge. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But a dose of humility is always a good thing in any person's life. Amen? Amen. Occasions like these, in one form or another, will occur in the Christian's life at some point. And what do I mean occasions like these? Occasions where there are divine interruptions to our plans. Like there are certain personality types that they're easy, they're really flexible. If the plan changes, it's no big deal. We can just adjust, we can move on. There are other personality types that if the plan changes, the whole world stops and the whole world falls apart. At least their own. At some point in our life, it's going to happen in the life of a child of God. Sudden interruptions to our plans. And how we respond to that is really critical. If we understand it right and we see it with the right perspective, we'll understand that those are actually divine privileges. Those are actually the hand of God, the good hand of God in our life. Uh, it, it could be the switch that turns the course of our life from the direction we're going into a brighter line of blessing, a better place of fruitfulness, or it could be the switch that completely turns us off and makes us inactive and useless for the Lord because I'm not getting my way. It depends on how we respond to those times. The truth is no one is ever the same when the Lord intervenes in a life and puts us to the test. Either we're going to be much better off having experienced it and we're going to be closer to the Lord and we're going to be more surrendered to him or we're going to be colder and farther away because we wouldn't yield to the will of God. Listen, we've got all of our life laid out. We've got our plans. We've got our retirements. We've got our jobs. We've got all these things. We've got it all laid out. And there comes this point in time where nothing is working out like we wanted it to. Is that a divine interruption? Quite possibly. How we respond to that is going to make all the difference. It's either going to, we're going to submit to the Lord and realize that this is the good hand of God in my life to work in me, or it's going to make me angry and bitter and drive me farther away from the Lord. Which that is not a place of blessing or safety. And you know that. Let me give you some examples. Look in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. Now look at verse 24. 
The Bible says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he saith, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Here was an instance where a man wrestled, and in the end, he understood that actually his life was preserved uh, from coming face to face with the Lord. It turned out to be something good in Jacob's life. On the other hand, there are instances like, for example, Balaam in Numbers 22, where he had opportunity to respond to the Lord, but he didn't. And even after, even after that experience, he sinned. And Jude, he, he's mentioned in the book of Jude, uh, verse 11, the error of Balaam and how uh, the end of Balaam's life uh, was not good or pleasant. And so, question, how are things going in your life? Maybe things don't seem to be working out for you like you've wanted. And you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried. Maybe things are pretty rough for you, and the plans that you have made don't seem to be coming true, true or to fruition. Maybe it seems like everything is a struggle. Are you paying attention? Because maybe the Lord is trying to get your attention. Maybe there's a bit of divine interruption going on here in your life to get you to pay attention to the Lord so that he can show you something about yourself. Often the struggle that we face is because of our own making. And the Lord in his goodness has to intervene in our life to make the correction to get us back on the right course Often it's the fruit of our poor decisions. And many times the Lord allows them to continue on simply because we are not listening. We need those divine interruptions. Praise the Lord for them. Amen. Go back to our text, Joshua 5, and look at the verse 14 with me. So we see a divine interruption. Secondly, we see divine revelation. Divine revelation, verse 14, the Bible says, So Joshua said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord? unto his servant. Now notice here, when Josh, Joshua is the one who's in charge. Joshua is the leader. 
Joshua's the one who's in charge of the whole nation. He's the captain, if you will. He's leading the army. They're going into battle. Joshua comes to this man and he says, who are you for? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And notice that he says, neither. I'm not on anybody's side. In fact, I'm the captain of the host of the Lord and I'm here to take over. I'm here to be in charge. He says, I'm the captain. I'm the one in charge of the host of the Lord. And perhaps this is just exactly what Joshua needed at the moment. Was he too confident in his own plan? We don't know that, perhaps. Was he fearful that he wouldn't be able to handle such a task and lead the people adequately? Perhaps. We don't know exactly what that was. Either way, what was revealed to Joshua that day was the fact that he wasn't really the one who was in charge. He wasn't the one who had the responsibility of decision-making. This is really critical. All he had to do was follow. Now, I hope you understand where we're going with that. Right? We got life plans. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? We've got this choice. We've got that choice. We've got options. I've got things that I want to get done. I've got things I want to do. Or we have these decisions to make. I've got this burden on me to make a decision. And in reality, all we need to understand is that I don't have to be in charge. The Lord is in charge. All I've got to do is follow. Amen. You're welcome. What a great principle that is. What a great principle and application for us. Jesus Christ doesn't come to take the place of, of subservience in our life. He doesn't come to take the place of a private in our life. He's the captain. He's the captain of our salvation. If he's not leading, then he's not there. The Lord Jesus Christ is not the servant of his church. He's the head of his church. He's also to be Lord and master of your life and mine. Listen to those words. He is to be Lord and master of your life. In all things, he is to have preeminence. Have we learned this lesson, friends? Have we learned this important truth? Have we given the Lord his rightful place in my life when it comes to decisions that we have to make? when it comes to the standards that we hold for ourselves, when it comes to what we allow into our homes, when it comes to what we do with our lives, following and submitting to our spiritual leadership. Listen, it should never be what I think. It always should be, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? There was some revelation that was given to Joshua here. Joshua, you're not the one who's really in charge. I'm not for you or against you. I'm the one who's taking control. And what needed to happen in this situation? In this situation, what needed to happen was surrender and yieldedness. That's what needed to happen. What would happen if Joshua was like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Right? 
But so often, that's what we do. It's how we live. Whoa, 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 hold up. That doesn't really fit in with what I have envisioned for myself or what I want to do. So we look at verse 14 again, and we see a third thought here. We saw divine interruption, divine revelation. Here, then, we see complete adoration, because look what happened. Verse 14, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? Look at the place that Joshua is taking right now. He's the leader. He's the one in charge of the nation. And he says, he understands who it is that he's standing in front of. And he worshipped him. And he said, what saith my Lord unto his servant? His eyes were open to who he was dealing with. And it caused him to fall down and worship. That lowly attitude that Joshua demonstrated shows entire surrender. It shows perfect willingness to take the place that is appointed him, a servant, a follower. It showed that Joshua had a humbled heart when he realized who he was because Joshua said, what saith my Lord to thy servant? It demonstrates the heart that Joshua had. Now let me make this application. Those who have a humbled heart to the Lord are always going to have an open ear to the Lord. In other words, if my heart is humble before God, I'm going to be listening to what he has to say. That's the way it ought to be for us. That's the way we ought to live. When we realize the God of heaven is trying to work in my heart, he's trying to work in my life, maybe it's through these trials, maybe it's through that difficulty that I'm facing in my life, it ought to humble me and cause me to say, okay, Lord, what is it that you want from me? What is it that you want me to surrender? Often we need a good dose of humility to knock us down a little bit and bring us low in order to get us to wake up. I've been there. More times than I even want to tell you. I thought about giving you a personal illustration, and I, I, I'm not going to do it today. But there are definitely examples that I could give you, like, don't, don't do it like I did it, okay? Don't be me. Surrender to the Lord. Yield to the Lord. Instead of Listen, instead of complaining about things being so hard in life, we ought to examine our heart first, then humble ourselves before the Lord, and then consider what God is going or wants us to learn from all of this. Are you listening? Are you listening? Sometimes we got to just keep getting beat over the head because we just won't listen. We just keep trying. Right? What we need is a bit of humility that knocks us down in order to wake us up. Joshua demonstrated a humble heart before the Lord, and it's shown to us 
in the next verse, verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for or because the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua obeyed in that moment. And here what we find is complete submission. Complete submission. Now, let's talk about the taking off of the shoe for a minute. Taking off of the shoe uh, would have been an act of reverence. We find that true in, in Exodus chapter 3. Go over there with me. With, in Moses' case, when Moses came and saw the bush that was burning, but it wasn't burned up, and he came face to face with the Lord. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. So in Moses' case, this is a, 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 a point of reverence. The Lord said, don't come near. Take your shoes off your feet because you're standing on holy ground. You're in the presence of the Lord. And so it was an act that indicated reverence. Also, what we know is that the priests ministered before the Lord with bare feet. The point was that the presence of the Lord was a sacred place to be. The presence of the Lord was a sacred place to be. Now, notice back in our text, though, that in Joshua's case, the Bible says, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. Singular. Different than Moses' situation. Take your shoes off your feet. But it was for the same reason. The ground was holy. And so we have a difference here in, how, in, in one shoe versus two, but we have the same exact reason that the ground is holy. Now, let me just present this to you. There's also another possible meaning. In the book of Ruth, what we find in Ruth chapter 4, in verse 7, the Bible says, Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things... A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee, so he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have uh, bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. In other words, what was happening here was a case of the kinsman redeemer. And in the, in the nation of Israel, it was custom that the nearest, if a man died, the nearest kinsman 
had the right and the responsibility to raise up seed to his dead brother so that they would always have an inheritance in the family. If that man didn't want to, the Redeemer would relinquish his rights and it was signified by the removal of one shoe. In this case, Boaz wanted Ruth for his wife And the Bible says that it was a testimony to confirm all things, that a man would pluck off his shoe, and the kinsman didn't want to, and so he says, you buy it. And so to confirm all of that, he removed his shoe, and Boaz became the the rightful owner in that situation. So the removal of Joshua's shoe could actually have a dual meaning in that he was in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so certainly there has to be reverence. The ground was holy, but also that Joshua was was signifying a relinquishing of his rights in full submission to Jesus Christ. This is a powerful truth, friend. This is a very powerful truth and an illustration for us. Listen, your life, uh, if you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You have deity inside of you. He dwells in you. It's a sacred place for God. Should our life then be a place of holiness? Should our life then be a place of reverence unto the Lord with respect and submission to God? And should he not have every right to control? And what we ought to do is relinquish our rights to his full control. You following that? You understanding that? We should submit to his will, to his way, to his leadership. And I think that it illustrates for us a great principle of the relinquishing of control, the relinquishing of our rights. And Joshua was the captain. He was the one in charge. But this was Jesus Christ, who is the real captain. And Joshua was relinquishing his right to the one who was truly in control. Such an attitude of heart and such an attitude of soul is always going to be the thing that honors God and gains victory in your life. That is the way to victory in our life. Like you might have stuff going on in your life and you might be trying so hard and you might be finding all these struggles and frustrations and so on. The question needs to be asked, have you relinquished your rights? Have you yielded to the Lord? Have you had that same heart and soul that says, okay, Lord, if this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do. I'm going to trust you with this. Even if it doesn't look so good for me, I'm going to trust you with it, but you're the one in control. So, Lord, you can have it. Joshua, in order to conquer, had to humble himself and stoop down. That was the point. He might have been up there searching out the plan of how we're going to defeat Jericho. But the way to defeat Jericho, the way to gain victory, was for him to humble himself and submit. The Bible tells us that he that humbleth himself 
shall be exalted. Did Joshua need some humility in his life? Maybe, possibly. Was Joshua not considering God's plan? We don't really know for sure. Although it's interesting to me that God revealed the plan to Joshua on how to conquer Jericho after he had this experience. Isn't that interesting? But let me just kind of close it up with this. Maybe those plans of ours that just aren't working out, the hardships that we're facing in life, maybe those things are divine interruptions to get us to a point where we can see ourselves for what we are, who we are, cause us to humble ourselves before the Lord so that then he can bring about victory in our life. That way he's the one who can actually lead, amen, into real victory. If Christ is not leading, then he's not there. Consider it. Think on it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for examples like this. And pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be humble. Father, like Joshua, what saith my Lord unto thy servant? And Father, I know that is the place and the way to real victory and fulfillment in life. May you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.